The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. This is a show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony. It's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free copy of the latest issue, featuring interviews, features, news reviews and more, then head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And my guest today is Patrick Barrett. Born in the rolling hills of Southern Ireland, his home was always full with animals that were being nursed and cared for as part of his dad's work with the RSPCA. Raised a Catholic, Patrick had an understanding of God, but it was the donkeys that he would learn to love and rescue that in time would rescue him. I began by asking Patrick to describe his life growing up. I was born into a, a small little village called Lascarl in uh, Southern Ireland in County Cork. And um, yeah, my, my upbringing was uh, very tranquil, uh, surrounded with animals. I had three lovely sisters growing up. I'm the youngest of the family. So um, my mom and dad, they, um, they were... My father was working for the ISPCA when I was younger, and um, he was rescuing animals uh, around Southern Ireland, you know, dogs, cats, um, donkeys, mules, horses. And um, yeah, it it was a real, um, it was a lovely upbringing. You know, there was plenty of freedom in the countryside. We lived on the farm uh, where the donkey sanctuary is today. So you can imagine um, the rolling hills of, uh, rural Ireland, so uh, plenty of freedom. So yeah, I was very lucky. Um, I'd walk out my back door of where I lived and there, there was nothing but green hills and woodland. And uh, if you walk back through the hills, you, you, you come to the top of a hill, which I call the rock. And uh, my family call it the rock and the people in my village call it the rock. And uh, as you come up to the top of the hill, you look down on the, the beautiful landscape of my village, Liscarl. And uh, in, in the centre of the village is um, the third biggest Norman castle in Europe. So it, it's a beautiful site. Well, it sounds it sounds really idyllic and, and it sounds beautiful. And you say your dad worked for the RSPCA. Were there always animals coming and going from your home? Always, Rachel. There was always animals um, from kittens to puppies to, to dogs, um, which we wanted to hold on to them all, you know. Uh, it was lovely because I was surrounded by animals all my childhood. You know, um, my my mom and my sisters were always nursing sick animals in the in the garage or in the kitchen. So it was um, it was lovely to have that closeness to animals. You know. Yeah. What What was your relationship like with animals? Was it different to perhaps your friends at school? Did you have a very special connection with them right from the beginning? Oh, yes. Um, I, I, I really had a special connection with them. Um, I remember I could connect with them a lot more easier. Um, I wasn't comparing myself to um, the animals I was in company with. Um, I really integrated myself into the herd, really, with the donkeys. You know, I became part of the pack, so to speak, at a young age. And um, yeah, it was lovely. Um, there was no judgment. There was no um, seeking approval from them or anything like that. So it was, it was lovely. The way you describe that, it feels perhaps in a contrast to what was happening to you elsewhere. Was tell me about your school life. Was it was it difficult for you? Yeah, well, it it was difficult um, when I reached uh, like the educational process was different here in Ireland. When I was in third class, when I was about. 10 years of age, it started getting difficult for me, um, learning-wise and and stuff like that. You know, I had very low attention. You know, I, I couldn't focus really well. And, uh, yeah, I was kind of, at that stage in my life, I was comparing myself to others. And I remember being very confused, um, feeling isolated. And I didn't show it, 
Rachel, to be honest, I, you know, I would have masked, I would have masked it very well, you know, and, um, but I, inside internally, I was really um, beginning to get overwhelmed, full of anxiety and isolated. Yeah. And throughout this, did you have a knowledge of God or a faith of any kind that was part of your life? Yeah, well, we, like raised in, in Ireland, we were I was raised Catholic and, um, you know, you were taught catechism in school and you were told the stories and part of that would have been you would have had it as homework, you know. And I remember my mom reading me the Bible actually in um, at home at night time. And uh, it was, um, I remember distinctly the part even where mom was reading it to me one night and it was where, Jesus was in the desert and he was tempted, the temptation came his way. And I remember getting so frightened and fearful at that moment in my childhood that I was nervous to read the Bible, you know? So it was a, yeah, a God of, for me personally, the God of my understanding back then was a God of um, fear. And that's my honest, my honest uh, opinion outlook on it back then was uh it was a god of fear because if i did something wrong god was watching you you know so yeah i had a different totally different understanding of god to what i have today yeah i can i can understand that i i can feel that sense of from what your mom was reading you a fear kind of came upon you because there are stories in the bible that are frightening aren't there and we don't fully understand how god has reacted to his people at that time and so you were not sure about god and you weren't sure about yourself you had all this confusion about who you were and why you didn't perfectly settle in at school but actually you were a i think you said you were a part of the pack of the donkeys that you were caring for was it a sanctuary that was around your home that's where it feels like you belonged yes so um there's an english connection coming in here rachel and it was um dad was my father and mother were rescuing so many um donkeys at the time this lady in sidmouth in devon in the donkey century in devon she she got word of um this man paddy barrett uh, rescuing numerous donkeys around the island of Ireland and she came in contact with that she she made the visit to Ireland to see the work that my father was doing um, this was back in 1987 and it was amazing this lady uh, just came up to our doorstep I remember the day very well and she just arrived she said she was a Dr Elizabeth Finson from the donkey century in England and of course we were very um, we didn't know who she was and we were skeptical of what she was, you know, saying or doing. And she she just told us the work she was doing. You know, I remember it, the welcome she got. My mother made the tea and sandwiches and um, she was very welcomed. And um, she was very interested in the work my parents were doing. And she she wanted to be part of it, you know. And uh, yeah, a, a year later, um, we became affiliated um with the Dunkin' Century in England, it became the Dunkin' Century in Ireland. It was amazing. What is a donkey sanctuary? Well, a donkey sanctuary is it, it's a place of refuge for donkeys. Um, see, in Ireland back in the 1980s, 1970s, donkeys were obsolete because of the introduction of tractors and modernization of the equipment. So what you had, Rachel, was a lot of donkeys um, roaming the back roads of Ireland. So they were in an appalling condition, most of them. They were tied up and left out in the rain. So they would have got rain scald and skin conditions and their hooves were curling up like Aladdin's feet. So, yeah, they needed caring. And thank God, you know, for my mom and dad and for Dr. Elizabeth Finson at that time, you know. And as a young boy, how did you how did you connect with them? What what happened? Did you go to be with them after school? Did you feed them? Did you talk to them? What 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 describe it to me that connection you had with them that you felt part of them and accepted by them? Well, that part I, I see. I witnessed every part of the process from them being rescued to be 
for them to come into refuge in the sanctuary, to watch them heal um, physically and um, emotionally. Um, I watched them integrate into the herd, how they were accepted. And all my life, Rachel, I, I'm a ver- I was a very good daydreamer and observer. So I, I used to get into trouble for that quite a lot, for daydreaming. But I would spend hours on end in the fields watching how this animal came in from uh, an isolated island off the coast of Ireland and how it could integrate into the herd, you know, and how the donkey was accepted. You know, it, it, the animal is very, very, they're very supportive animal, you know, very caring. My connection was watching and, and learning so much from the animal, so much to learn, resiliency, um, belonging, support um leadership believe it or not um it, it was amazing it was amazing to watch it very lucky and it's interesting isn't it because we think of a, a donkey we don't look at it perhaps with the respect that we should and 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 i'm and i'm guessing that's perhaps where god had began to plant something in your heart of what was possible in his world in his creation yeah, exactly. And I always used to question, you know, the cross on a donkey's back, Rachel. And I, I always felt so honoured to have this animal um, on the land in, in the century. And as probably from the biblical stories of Jesus. And, and I was there going, oh, this is lovely that this animal is here that carried the message of Jesus, you know. So... I really did have that belief in me then even, you know, that we were taking care of uh, our Lord's animal. So tell me about as you grew up and did you manage to find out who you were or did you begin at any point to feel comfortable with who you were? Honestly, um, Rachel, no. I, I, I truly didn't know who I was until later years. You know, when I started asking questions of um, who I was, um, why why my behavior was the way it was. And, um, yeah, I, I feel I had built this um, false identity, um, probably stemming from school, what I spoke about there, masking my insecurities and stuff like that. And I projected onto the world of this false illusion to people of um, of, of who I thought I was, you know. And I often share it with people today that uh, I was like a chameleon, Rachel. I was I was a different person for different people at different times, and uh, it, it was it, it was really looking back on it false, you know. It was false. So no, yeah, to answer your question, I, I really didn't know who I was, you know. I I knew the part of I I loved freedom. I loved that free spirit in me and. I loved animals and I, I loved the characteristics in them. And that's what I really tried to portray in the world. But I was blocked somehow, you know, I was blocked. And then as you grew up, you made the decision, I believe, to become a soldier. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. I, um, it was always part of um, my childhood as well. I loved the freedom. I loved the countryside. And I just had this, um, I just had this, romantic uh, view of becoming a soldier and I like Ireland um, you know were steeped in peacekeeping um, missions uh, across the world and that really attracted me you know um, to that so it was a part of um, my childhood yeah I, I would have always been out in the fields um, playing lone soldier games with imaginary people in in the in the hills and stuff like that so I, I remember I remember very well me dressed in camouflage as a very young boy crawling through ditches and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it, that was part of me, too. You know, um, it was a calling, actually, I feel today, you know, it was a calling as well. You know, that may sound whatever with army is a contradiction to the century, but it was like a calling to... Um, that attraction for peacekeeping duties, you know. 
How old were you then when you joined the army? I was 18 years of age. It was very total culture shock. That's what it was. It was, um, I had come from a life of uh, kind of freedom and spontaneous decision making in a rural village of Ireland. And all of a sudden you're put into the army, which is, like everyone knows, is repetition and conditioning and and that served me very well, to be honest with you, you know, this repetition of, you know, arms drills and stuff like that. It was, it was brilliant. It was a different learning for me. But it, you took that young, naive little boy out of the countryside and you put him in a military setting. It was it was hard to adjust, I will admit. It was hard to adjust. But um, over the months um, in recruit training, I, I, I adapted well. Probably my... Uh, my experience in living in the countryside helped me with the military, you know, especially on exercise out in forestries and stuff like that. I'm wondering, was it the order that the military offered you that helped steal your mind somehow and helped you know what was happening? So it's quite ordered day to day. And did that help you feel comfortable in knowing what was happening? I agree with you, Rachel. Yes, it really did help, you know. Um, you're right, like decisions are made for you in the army. And that was a big problem in my childhood. And what I struggled with big time was, um, in my adulthood was decision making, you know, probably stemming back again from what I spoke to you about insecurities and from childhood and conditioning of um, not being good enough and always comparing, you know. So, yeah, you're right. It was easier to take orders, you know, to make my own decisions. And your relationship with God at this point, you're 18, 19, you've just joined the military. Life is very different. Did you feel any other connection or were you still in fear of, of God? Um, no real connection, Rachel. That's my true answer, you know. Um, no real connection. I'd, you know, it, it, I was only talking to someone the other day. I I had turned my back, I feel, you know. When I turned my back, what had I turned to? This was the question, you know. And um, I, I suppose what would have come into my life around this time too when uh, in my late teens was I was drinking an awful lot. So it, it would have taken my focus away from God. And I know that's hard to say in in some ways but th- this is your story isn't it this is your your testimony and this is how you experience your life this is your journey with God so you join the army there's a part of life that you're enjoying more but you recognize now you were turning your back to God turning more towards things like alcohol do you mind describing what that that experience was like in the army? And was it those peacekeeping duties that you were looking forward to? Were you able to be involved in those? Oh, yes, I, I was able to be involved in the peacekeeping duties. That was no problem. Um, probably when, when alcohol became a problem for me and very problematic was when I left the army. Um, I joined at 18. And I left at 23 years of age. I did a five-year contract with, with the army and uh, I'd served uh, in two peacekeeping missions to, to Lebanon and one to Kosovo. And it was when I came out of the army that um, I, I, I really relied heavily on alcohol, you know, and it gave me that power from within. It gave me that confidence. It gave me that, uh, that everything, you know, it just gave me confidence. It gave me able to make decisions whether they were rash decisions, good or bad, or it, it, it provided for me a power from within. You know, that's the best way I can describe it to people today. Um, realizing today it was a false power, you know, a false power. So, yeah, I, I became dependent probably after coming out of the army quite a bit, you know. Um, it, it was, yeah, dealing with life, life experiences, relationships. These were all things that um, I struggled with big time, you know. So alcohol was basically my crutch. It, it was my medication, you know. Um, I would have been too proud to have uh, gone to see a doctor at this stage around, around addiction. 
So I, I tried to medicate myself, Rachel, with alcohol. That's the truth. Hey, this is Sam. Really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the Profile Podcast today. Could you do me a favour right now? It will take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. Just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so, so helpful. It helps other people to discover the show as well. So if you could do that, we would so appreciate it. It sounds like there was a pain there within you that the alcohol helped you cope with it, that the alcohol dumbed down that pain. Was it painful remembering the work that you'd done when you were a soldier? There was a a combination of things, Rachel. You know, um, it was, there was a lot of grief and loss in my life at that stage. Um, I was involved in an incident in Lebanon where four personnel um, got tragically killed in a road traffic accident. Um, I was very lucky to escape that day. At the start of my first tour of duty in Lebanon, um, a very close friend of mine, an ex-girlfriend, got killed in a car crash with her sister and best friend and her baby. And these were all things that I dampened down. You know, I, 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 I... I really digested them. I kept them down while I was in service for five years in the army. And it was when I left the army, it was like, I explained it to people, it was like, uh, you fizz up a two liter bottle of Coke and all the contents came spilling out, you know? And I couldn't regulate my emotions. The only way I could regulate my emotions was through alcohol. And that was it. I, I was basically medicating myself through alcohol to numb the pain you know, to numb the pain. And what, what happened then, Rachel, was I became so numb, um, I, I was unconsciously then trying to feel something. So I'd create drama, I'd create chaos. And, you know, I suppose even sharing here, you know, I, I, w- I would tap into the self-harm piece, you know, and... I can see it today that I wanted to feel something, not knowing what I wanted to feel, you know? And, and these were the questions I, I, I was wondering. I remember sitting, I was living in London, actually, Rachel, in an apartment. I remember sitting there in the dark, in the middle of the night, going, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I harming myself, you know? Um, one incident I very nearly lost my life. I, 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 I just, I, I was in London and I severed an artery in my arm after hitting a window, you know, and because I saw my reflection, you know. This was the dark self-image I saw of myself, you know. I felt numb, I couldn't feel anything. So it was a real, um, it was a real rock bottom to my life, you know. It sounds and feels an extremely painful time. You've had that uncertainty growing up of who you are. You've joined the army where there was some direction and clarity, but at the same time you lost people very close to you and that hurt. And then you left the army and you, as you said, you medicated yourself with alcohol to dumb down some of those feelings. But at the same time, you wanted to feel something. It felt like a a vicious circle. So you remember being in in London. You remember hitting a, a window, was it, because you saw your reflection. And it feels like, you know, really, really dangerous place where your life was at risk. How, how did you manage to get support and how did you manage to pull yourself through this? So, yeah, after, after that incident in London where I severed an artery, believe it or not, Rachel, my first action after leaving Kingston Hospital that time was to go straight to the pub, you know? And uh, it, 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 looking back at the insanity, and I'll say it again, insanity, of my actions, I needed this liquid called alcohol to numb the pain. Um, it was my God. It was my power. And it, it really, it really, looking back on it, it really st- startles me 
how did I get seek support? I my family at this time were very aware, Rachel, that things were going very badly for me, you know. And I remember there was an intervention by two of my sisters, um, Eileen and and Debbie. They came to London just to see what way I was, and they could see that I was a, a shell of a human being, you know. And um, they they even said it that they're losing their brother, you know. And I remember very shortly after then, I, I was going out with a girl and um, she was a local girl from Ireland and she was nursing in England. And I believe today that this is one of the miracles that were put on my pet. Um, my son, um, she became pregnant with my eldest son, Dara. So the decision was taken out of my hands, Rachel. We needed to go home. We needed to have a secure base, you know, and. Uh, that was it. We went home and my son Dara was born in November. He was three months premature in 2004. And that was one of the miracles that that was the first time in my life where responsibility for another human being had come into my life. So it was the first time I had questions about who I was. I needed to get help. Good evening, sir. Hi. Is your brain hungry for knowledge? Um, well, for starters, we have a thought-provoking mix of theological articles, debates and trends. For the main, interviews with politicians, activists and Christian experts. And for pudding, the creme de la creme of interactive content and videos. Subscribe now for home delivery of the monthly magazine and online access and get 50% off annual subscription. Let's go halves at premierchristianity.com slash subscribe. Offer valid until the end of December. You're listening to The Profile. Welcome to the second part of The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Rachel Matthews. This is the show where we look at a person's life, faith and testimony and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you'd like a free copy, head to premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And today I'm talking to Patrick Barrett, who in the first part of the programme described some of the difficulties he'd faced growing up and how with the birth of his first child he knew life had to change. That was the first time in my life where responsibility for another human being had come into my life. So it was the first time I had questions about who I was. I needed to get help. The support came in various forms, Rachel. It, it, it came with my family, you know. Um, God, I'll mention God here because I remember late at night, one night in Ireland, at the top of the rock where, where I spoke about in, 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 on the century, I remember screaming to the, to the dark sky, help, you know. And I was shouting help and I didn't know to who or what or anything, but I remember shouting, help, help, help. And between that night and a month later, my sister had organized behind my back for me to go to to seek help, you know? And that was the start of my journey at, at, 20, at 25 years of age. That was the start of my journey, you know? So you shouted out, you shouted out at the at the top of the rock, help, help. Did you hear from God immediately? That night, a, 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 a contentment came over me. I remember because my, my thoughts were so delusional at that, that night. Um, a peace came over me and I remember walking back to my mom and dad's house going, I, something came over me that night. I can't describe it even, but a feeling came, a feeling of contentment came over me. And little did I know that God was working through my sister, organizing me to, to seek professional help, you know? And that's, you can see him weaving his magic even on that night, you know? Takes to say to Christian, um, you know, seek and you shall find, ask and it will be given, you know? When you cast your mind back and then your, your sister had sought help for you, 
how much alcohol were you drinking a day and how hard was it to stop that? Yeah, so I was a binge drinker, Rachel. So my, my we call it a session here, a session for me would start on a Thursday and it probably would end on a Monday. Now it probably would start on a Friday. Weekends were always my trigger points, you know. Um, it, it, it would, a binge session could last for three to four days. Yeah, definitely. Um, I didn't, believe it or not, Rachel, I didn't drink a lot. And people would often say to me, Patrick, you really didn't drink a lot. But what people didn't see was I, I would drink pints of lager and then behind people's back, I would I would drink top shelf. You know, I would drink spirits, you know, because I'd be ashamed for people to see me drinking the spirits. But it was just the chasing of that feeling, Rachel. You know, I just wanted to chase that feeling of um, I'm okay. I'm a feeling of contentment and confidence and, you know, everything's okay now. I have alcohol in my system, you know. So... Yeah, yeah, it would have been. I would have been a binge drinker, Rachel. So tell me about the help that your sister got you, and tell me about your journey to recovery. Yeah, so I I, I seeked professional help. You know, um, I I really needed it at that time. It was an intervention that really, really was needed. Um, it introduced me to the world of counselling, psychotherapy. Um, humanistic, holistic psychotherapy. And uh, what really came for me then was the introduction of a belief system, you know? And this was something that I, I, I rebelled against. It was something that I didn't believe in. Um, I was nihilistic. Uh, I could see the chaos in my life. And I didn't believe Rachel, you know? But this world opened up a, a brand new outlook on a belief system, you know? And I remember people suggesting to me, Patrick, just what's your belief of your own understanding, of your own understanding? And I was there and I was catapulted back to school, um, the God of my upbringing, um, the, my mom reading the Bible stories to me. And I, I started to get a different look and understanding around God, you know? And what really came to me at the time, Rachel, was I always did feel that there was something minding me. I always believed something was minding me, whether it was the people that had passed away or God or my ancestors. I always believed there was a wraparound service for Patrick to mind Patrick, you know, and that gave me great comfort. So that was something I really leaned into. Um, at this moment in my life. So. so you begin to address both the alcoholism, but also this belief system in yourself and in something else. Did you move back to your mom and dad's into the farm and was the donkey sanctuary still there? Yes. So my son Dara was born and I was 25 and I bring in my truth to the conversation Rachel I I couldn't live with myself so no one else could live with me either so that relationship failed and that was a, a major blow again for me um, as a man I had failed um, my insecurities were brought up everything really came on down came down on top of me at that stage you know, um, the hard work I was putting in um, to recovery and stuff like that, it kind of faded because of I started gaining resentment. I started gaining this anger again, you know. So it, 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 it really set me back, Rachel, you know, when the, when the relationship failed, you know. And I can see it today it was fading because of the relationship within myself was fractured and with God was fractured. So yeah, that really set me back. It was another thing of what's next, you know, what's next, what's going to happen next, 
So this was my belief system and this was the pattern that was happening in my life. I think after about eight or nine months of, of uh, sobriety, I, uh, I relapsed again, Rachel, you know? And what I believe today that held me together was, I was uh, probably at this moment in time, uh, I was unemployable, you know? It's hard for me to say that, but I, I, I was confused, I was lost, I couldn't focus. And the job, there was a job at the donkey century that was open for me. And that was my saving grace. It, it, it brought me back in. Um, uh, I was like the wounded donkey that I had witnessed with my father rescuing and my mom rescuing and healing him. I was like the, the wounded donkey coming back into the century. This time, the donkey was healing me, you know. I was part of the pack. I was part of the herd working in alliance with the animal, you know. And it, it was a, an amazing experience. And it, it, it really, like, a, what a blessing. Even talking about it, I, I'm getting a bit choked up because of what it means to me, Rachel, you know. And I have to mention my family and the staff at Duncan Century. You know, they would have seen me. They would have seen me uh, dysfunctional, you know. They would have seen me working with the animal. Um, I used to just go away for half an hour, an hour, like I, like I was when I was a child and get lost in the hills with the donkey and reflecting on my life, you know. And I'm mad enough to say it today, Rachel, having a tear when I didn't want anyone else to see it with the animal, you know. And it, it, it was a, a process then, Rachel, of about, it was a process of about eight or nine years of really grappling with this addiction, that false self, the lies in my head, the conditioning, um, the anger, the resentment. And I can see today my secure base was back at home, in my family home, with the animal next to me, you know? And my belief is God weaving his magic put all these things on my path for me to awaken to who I really was and what he really, who he made me to be, you know? So it was um, in my darkest times, I, I had the support, you know? And the support came in all shapes and forms. And uh, the donkey was there. My family were there. My community was there. You know, I'm a lucky man, Rachel. In that season of healing, was there one particular donkey that you connected with? Or was it being with them all in, the, in, in part of their pack? It was the mall, uh, Rachel. You know, it was all of them, you know, they have different characters, they're like humans, they have different characteristics, they have different ways of being. Um, I was fascinated. I always loved monitoring behavior, <laughs> you know, um, with people and animals. And I, there was one donkey that did come into my life, Jaxie. He was the, he, he was orphaned and he had to be bottle reared by um, my sister, staff at the donkey century and myself and uh he was bottle reared with the special milk and we had to do three hourly feeds when he was a baby so he was like a baby and uh, i volunteered i would have done the night feeds you know about three o'clock six o'clock in the morning and i just had a lovely piece doing that in the middle of the night with jaxie as he was a foal but i remember i used to be under a red light with him and reflecting and it was nice peace you know and it was another time in my life where I was asking questions what's it about you know what is life about where am I going with this you know and um, it, I, I really started to, to question God at this stage and um, I, I started asking questions to people you know what is a belief system you know so it was um, slowly but surely I, I was beginning to open up, you know. But Jaxie was a, 
he, he's a, he's amazing. He does a, a YouTube video of me and Jaxie, um, Rachel Love. I, I learned at a young age. I learned how to bray like a donkey, so I could integrate with the herd. So Jaxie, you know when he hears me, if I'm up uh, around the donkey century, um, walking or anything, I call to him nearly every evening. If he hears my voice, he's straight over. He's trying to jump the fence to come out and meet me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a real close bond between the two of us. Real close bond. He thinks he's a human being, Rachel, to be honest with you. Wow. So you can, you can literally speak the language that the donkeys understand. Yeah, so like there's different calls and different frequencies that they that they emit, and I, I, I you know it was part of my childhood that I kind of perfected these calls. So it was um, it's lovely. Yeah, one of my one of my party tricks when I was younger was late at night I would uh, I'd bray and I'd set off two hundred donkeys on the farm braying. So. If you can imagine the sound of 200 donkeys braying, I don't think the neighbors were too happy with it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it was special. I think, I think it'd be very remiss of me not to ask you, could you give us an example? <laughs> Everybody asks me this and um, yeah, I don't mind Richard. It was like, I suppose when I'm calling Jax or any other donkeys, it goes something like this. I'm a bit embarrassed now. It goes. Something like that. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm reminded, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi who really understood the world and that God had made animals as part of his creation and a really important part of it. And it feels to me like we're laughing about that, but it's like you seem, God seems to have opened up a world to you that we have taken for granted, that we have just thought, oh, it's a donkey, but there is, even you learning their language, there is such a beauty within their companionship, their forgiveness, their leadership, the way they look after one another. There are so many lessons that we can learn from them. Unbelievable, Rachel. Like they live in the world of the subconscious, the, the, the God piece, you know, um, and so do plants, so does nature. And I've learned so much growing up in nature and with the donkey in nature and other animals, you know. It's amazing, you know. I, I I trained to be a psychotherapist, and it's really enhanced me to, in my job that I'm working today. You know, because I watch the little move, I, I watch little facial expressions and monitoring stuff. So it's the subconscious will play out um, the most amazing things, but if you're not focused, if you're not conscious of it, you'll miss it. And I, you're right, Rachel, I feel that's a big problem in the world today. People, there's magic unraveling in front of people. And it's, for me, my belief, it's God and people miss it. You know, people miss it so much on a daily basis, you know, whether it be technology or addiction, whatever it is, it's, I, I, I really do feel it. it's missed in the world today, you know. So that's interesting. You say you've trained as a psychotherapist. Tell me about where we find you today. Tell me about your life now, how old you are and, you know, how has it unfolded and where are you at with God now? Oh, Rachel, it's such a, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's, it's all freeing where I am today. Um, it's polar opposite to where I was 10 years ago. Um, and another miracle that happened to me in my life is that I'm back in the military, the Irish Defence Forces, and uh, um, my job is in uh, personal support. And it's just dealing with a range of issues with people that would have went through the same as me, you know, um, uh, in depression and in their darkness, or whether it be addiction or whatever it is. So it's another another weaving of God's magic of where I am today. You know, um, 
it's done full circle, Rachel. You know, I really come home. Um, part of coming home has been coming back into the into the defence forces, into the army, and I pinched myself coming into work sometimes, Rachel. You know that this has happened. This has actually manifested in my life, and I I, I was kind of preempting questions, you know, which I shouldn't do even for the interview. And I was there going, what does Santry look like for me today and stuff like this? And and I, my answer to that, Rachel, is like, Santry looks like, what it looks like for me today is home, home, um, the herd, the donkeys, the support, the, the belonging, um, that sense of worth, you know, um, and feeling enough. Um, life for me is nothing but miraculous, Rachel. Um, nothing would have manifested in my life only for God, you know, only for God. Um, my belief in God, um, you know, for me, my belief, my understanding of Jesus for me is the cornerstone. And that's the way I lead my life, you know. Um, there used to be a day where I'd be, oh, I can't share something like that because, you know, but I am who I am today. Um, it took me long enough to find it. Uh, I, I, I don't, but the judgment of myself is more important than what people, me thinking of what people think of me. Um, I'm, I'm really forming my own skin today. Um, and what I really need to know on a day-to-day basis is, I just need to bring my truth to any conversation that I'm in. Um, the truth is God's word, you know. Um, I believe today the work, the book, this interview, Rachel, is I'm only a vessel. God's working through me, you know. Um, that's the truth. I, I, I'm only a vessel. Um, he, he, he's minded me. He's protected me. He's kept me alive for me to carry out his work for him. You know, um, I, have a, I have a content home. I have a beautiful wife. I found my soulmate. Um, she's one of the the miracles that came on my path. Um, it, it's so funny. I, we were just speaking about things right in front of you all your life, and you missed them. My soulmate was on my doorstep all my life in in my village, and uh, I couldn't believe it. You know. Um, I, I just had this connection I, with her. We went hill walking one day together and uh, I, I, we just had this connection on a hill walk and uh, it, it just blossomed from there. And uh, she said to me today, I only wanted to be friends with you. But <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it, it, it was just a connection. And like, I'm so lucky with my wife, Eileen, um, with my five children, you know, my stepson, Dara, my own son, Dara, um, Patrick, Ellen Rose, and Oren—they're all—they're all gifts from God for me, um, for me to 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 be a better person and to instill in them what I have today. You know, that's that's the biggest purpose I have is pass on what I have today to my family and people I work with. Um, that's it, and. Probably with this book coming, uh, with this book being launched, Rachel, it's probably given me a platform of, of that word just to go forward. And I'm just so, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed. I feel so lucky that, that this book even was manifested, even the story behind the book happening. I, I can't believe it, you know, it's unbelievable. And this interview even, <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing interviews. So yeah, Rachel. Feels that you're still taken aback by God within your story and how He has never left you and used all things for good. It still feels, as you talk about it with that smile, that you're still surprised how God has had His hand, He never left you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that excitement inside of me is God. <laughs> that's the spirit, you know, that spirit inside of me. I have excitement like that little child that I had when I was out in the, in the hills with the donkey before I got broken, 
I, you know, I believe I got broken on my journey somewhere, you know, um, I became confused and disengaged. But I'm back to that fixed piece of wholeness with a power within me, God. You know, I have that excitement. I have the goosebumps on my back even talking here, you know, and I know when I'm in, I know when I'm resonating with the truth, Rachel, you know, and there's a lovely contentment and excitement. And that's my new, it's, it's, it's the real addiction for me today. It's the real power, you know, that excitement. Keep learning more about myself, keep evolving, you know, and uh, become the truest version of what God made me. I'm made in God's image. And what does that look like for me? You know, so I have that image. and That's what I want to become, you know. Yeah, and I, I'm thinking that the story of the donkey sanctuary that you grew up with and you've been a part of in restoration, in seeing the gifts that the donkey brings is exactly the story of God, of how he sees us and how he wants to restore us and love us and bring us back to true health and well-being. Exactly, exactly. He, he, and that's what I believe, actually. He just wants us to be the truest version of who we were always meant to be. He made us a, a certain way, and he wants us to be that way in the world. That's my belief. And we get, we get tarnished, we get lost, we get, we, we get sidetracked. And it's all about our journey home. How do we come home? You know? And that's that's what the book about. That's what the book is about, and that's what I hope comes across in the interview. I did a, a really long roundabout way home. But I've come home, you know. I've come home. Thank God. <laughs> You've been listening to the profile in association with Premier Christianity Magazine.